This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Wednesday, December 27th, 2017. It's the last podcast of the year, and I have a special guest with me today it's russell holly of android central hi russell how are you hello i am fantastic how has your week been it's been chill you know i don't really celebrate christmas so it's just kind of like we got together with friends made some blueberry pie watched the uh, star wars uh episode seven and then we all went to see episode eight afterwards Awesome. I feel like this is the first week that uh, I haven't seen you travel. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right about that. Um, we'd, I'd seen episode two before already. I mean, so the second of the new trilogy of the episode eight. Um, but I wanted to see it again because there's a lot in there. Um, and so we said, hey, let's have some friends over. We can watch um, the, the first one, well, episode seven of that trilogy. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've been on the road a lot. Um, Mostly since mid-October, it's been nonstop. Hong Kong, then Lisbon, Portugal for Web Summit. Then we took a break and went to Morocco. And then we went to uh, Hawaii because Qualcomm had their conference there, their big tech summit. And, of course, you, if you're in Hawaii, you're going to extend that a little bit, right? And oh, you're yeah. You're going to go for three days. So we did spend some time. We have a friend who kind of lives off the grid there on the big island. Cool. It was really cool. Like we... I was living with roosters and chickens and pigs for a while. <laughs> it was kind of cool. But the internet works, so I can do anything if the internet works. You know how it goes. Oh, yeah. So how are things with you? Oh, it's been a really uh, fantastic year. There's been a ton of stuff going on. Uh, I've, I shifted focus a little bit to, uh, you know, away from like just phones to a lot of the, the virtual reality stuff that's been happening this year. Oh, yeah. You're really and, into that, huh? Yeah. And chasing that's been been fun, not just the virtual reality, but the augmented reality stuff. And and amazingly, by the end of this year, it shifted itself entirely back to phones because we have, you know, all the stuff happening with AR kit and AR core. So uh, this uh, it, it's been it's been a fun year to kind of go full circle for myself. Yeah, for sure. Are you still? Do you think you're still on top of the phone beat enough to obviously know what's happening, and and you feel like you're still not miss you're not missing out on the phone stuff? Oh yeah, I'm still I'm still you know very very active uh, with with the Android Central team and all of the the new things that have been coming out. I I have this uh, I have this this sickness that I think a lot of the people who do what we do have, where if it's a new shiny thing, I need to touch it. Uh, <laughs> and so I think that's what uh, that's what pulled me towards VR in the first place. But yeah, I haven't I definitely haven't stopped playing with the phones. Sweet. Well, speaking of shiny new things, there's a couple of devices that land on my lap while they were already here uh, when I when I got back from my traveling. Um, you know, I still spend a lot of my time in San Francisco, most of it when I'm not traveling, but it's nice to go up to Portland to relax. And uh, when I know that stuff is going to be shipped to me while I'm traveling, I usually get it shipped to Portland and I might get to it later. And if it's not super critical, like the latest phone or something. And I had the Pixel Buds shipped to me by Google a while back, and I finally got to play with those. And then I got this other product, if you look at my YouTube channel, called the Front Row Camera, which is like a wearable, life-blogging um, Android camera that has a screen. It's, it's a very unique product, and I want to kind of chat about this a little bit. But what I really mostly want to pick your brain about, frankly, is what do you think we're going to see next year? What are the things that you're looking forward to what do you think the phone world is gonna how is it gonna change next year in your opinion you know last week we covered the kind of the best of 2017 best phones and stuff with with uh uh with john velasco and so i'm kind of curious you know somebody like you who 
obviously has their hands and phones a lot, what your thoughts are going to be. So that's kind of essentially the format. Uh, we don't have to necessarily do it in this order. In fact, I kind of want to start with your thoughts on what what are you looking forward to 2018? I think honestly, 2018 is going to be a, a year where all of the different companies that we we kind of know and love and, and interact with, I think they're going to try and kind of redefine what what the phone is is going to be about because they figured out this year there were so many different companies that figured out that that there are small groups of people who are interested in in living just entirely on their phone. We saw Samsung try and do it with the Dex Dock. Uh, we've seen uh, Apple try and do it by kind of pushing everything towards the iPad, where the iPad is the computer. Uh, you know, we we've seen a bunch of different companies now try and and kind of extend that, but none of the none of the attempts, in my opinion, this year really took off very well. Dex just you know wasn't really a complete thought when it launched, uh, and and you know unless you're, well, go ahead. I think it's better than what we got with Motorola oh, Atrix absolutely. a few years ago. Right? I mean, it's it's improvement. What I'm actually really excited about is what Huawei did with the Mate 10 Pro, which very few people speak about because. People forget because the deck stock was a piece of hardware. So it reminded us that you had this functionality if you dock the phone to the deck stock. But the Mate 10 Pro and the Mate 10 support uh, a desktop mode, which is very similar to Dex's desktop mode. Um, if you plug uh, an HDMI cable, the a compatible yep. HDMI cable into the USB-C port. So to me, that's the future. You don't, you shouldn't have to use a dock for this. No, absolutely. Know? Yeah, I, I think that we're going to see, you know, we know that, uh, that Google's doing stuff this year uh, when it comes to, you know, more bringing Android apps to, to Chrome. You know, we got that start this year. And Huawei did, in, in a couple of things that Huawei did with that kind of desktop mode, I liked better than what Samsung did with Dex. It was still... Uh, you know, buggy in places, and and some a lot of the apps didn't really play nice. But like yeah, you said, I do, I do way feel better that Samsung, than the Atrix. I agree. I, I just I feel that Samsung did a better job overall because you know they're learning to do better software, and yeah. Huawei is still a little behind. But I do love the concept, the idea, which in a way Microsoft brought us first. Um, mm -hmm. Well, uh, I guess after the Atrix, but the Atrix required external hardware. That's what I'm trying to get to. Is Microsoft supported with Windows 10 Mobile the ability to just plug in and you know bang, you're in desktop mode, right? And I think ha having some sort of Linux or Unix-E build available to you that kind of context switches really quickly like that is really awesome. I mean, for me, that's been the holy grail. You know, in 2005, I spent two grand or more than that, I think, buying an Okio Model 01. I don't know if you remember that thing. It was the world's smallest Windows XP computer. Yep. It was an inch thick, had a five-inch display diagonally. So you can imagine this in your hand. It's smaller than most smartphones today, but just thicker. And the screen slid up, and there was like a membrane keyboard under there and a track stick like uh, like uh, IBM ThinkPads, uh, Lenovo ThinkPads today. And, and honestly, it was perfectly usable with the Windows XP at the time. And... To me, I was like, this is the future. I can, you know, I used to carry a little Bluetooth mouse and my Sony Ericsson T68i on T-Mobile um, back when you could get unlimited data for $5 a month um, over Edge, of course. And and uh, actually, it, I don't think the T68i supported Edge. It was GPRS. So I was using GPRS Bluetooth on the Okio Model 1 with a fold-away keyboard called Stowaway. Uh, super thin, super light. It was designed originally for Palm Pilots, this keyboard, uh, Bluetooth, and then a Bluetooth mouse. And I could literally go to a coffee shop and basically set up a little desktop environment where I could work on all my standard uh, desktop apps, right? 
Of course, you know, we've gone beyond that. Now we have really awesome touch base uh, optimized for, for, for phone apps. But I still feel that there's a lot that can't really be done on a phone effectively or a tablet. Yeah. And to me, at least for my workflow, and I think you feel the same, and I think a lot of the journalists I've talked to feel the same. I think the exception is probably, probably Harry McCracken, who is completely and perfectly comfortable using an iPad with a keyboard to do his work. <laughs> um, he's, he's the exception, I think. Most of us want a full-blown desktop-grade OS where we can run a Linux shell if we need to, where we can you know, run desktop-grade uh, web browser. And I think that's the holy grail. The first company that can deliver this on a mobile phone in, in an effective way. And I think the flaw so far after using Dex and a little bit the Mate 10 Pro, in my opinion, is that when you want to do phony things, it, break, it breaks apart. Right? Yeah, there's, there's, like, it's very difficult to get both. Right, how do you take a call? Why can't you just pick up the phone and while the desktop display is on your monitor and you're connected by a cord and maybe eventually by wireless you know, uh, display connectivity, why can't you use the phone on the screen and run a phone app at the same time? Oh, and so what's what's equally silly about that? You this this may be a little bit out of your purview, but it, being able to run those similar apps, uh, Samsung also baked into the Gear VR, uh, where you can right. take a Bluetooth keyboard and set it in front of you and have all of these apps running. And you can, if the phone rings, you can just answer the phone, and and the desktop environment doesn't change. You know, you still have control over all of those things. Uh, you know, the, the downside there is that you're you're wearing this headset. So obviously it's very different from having the, the traditional kind of laptop-ish thing in front of you with a with a phone off to the side. Right. And so but but I mean like it, it throughout this year we saw many different attempts that got much closer than we had ever seen before. And I know that this coming year, you know, we've got the 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 Snapdragon 845, uh, you know, Qualcomm, which you saw at the uh, at the Qualcomm Dev Summit at uh, in Hawaii, they very clearly uh, you know sold this as something that will exist in the laptop style form factors and in the phone style form factors and in the tablet style form factors in ways that that we hadn't really seen as complete thoughts before. Yeah, and so for that's sure. what I what I think this year we're going to get much much closer to having that kind of that one device that can that can actually service uh, people like us, you know, who who want kind of that all-in-one experience. Totally. And but I, I, I do think that the only way it's going to happen properly is if Google implements it inside of Android. Yeah, absolutely. So and for me, the holy grail is, you know, I plug my phone in either by cable or through some kind of Wi-Fi like, you know, AirPlay does on Macs where you can like cast it to an Apple TV and it's seamless and it works every time. Uh, some experience like that where at the same time, my phone display continues to work. My phone apps run on the phone. If uh, the phone rings on my desk and I'm working in Chrome, you know, desktop with a keyboard and mouse and it's my boss, I don't freak out. I'm actually able to pick up the phone physically off my desk, hit the talk button and, and take the call. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no yeah. context switching. It just freaking works. That's what <laughs> we need. And And the problem I have so far is that we don't really know what this desktop environment is that it's running. It's obviously Android, and that's, all we, as we know, not good enough. So what I really want is Android to kind of grow up into becoming a hybrid with Chrome OS, yep. but I don't want them mixing together. I want them running selectively or simultaneously. 
You know what I'm saying? You you want the Android experience when it's in your hand, and you want the Chrome experience when it's. And when I want it's them not. at the same time if they're yeah. both possible at the same time, and and that's what I love about Chrome OS. And honestly, I'm super stoked with the Pixel Book. It's been one of my favorite products of the year. I've been a huge Chromebook fan for years, and I think that other than the form factor, because it's a bigger thing and it's like a laptop type thing, the fact that you can turn it into a tablet and it becomes like a just a standard Android tablet with all of its flaws and issues, of course. It's still pretty freaking dope. Like every now and then I'm like, oh, you know, I'm kind of sick and tired of using the mouse and keyboard and I don't want to use photos.google.com. Instead, I'm just going to launch the photos app on Android, turn this into a tablet and do my work there. Yep. It's it's brilliant. Of course, I can imagine the average normal person is going to have a real issue understanding, wait, I have two versions of doing photos on this device. I, I, my brain does not compute, you know? <laughs> Well, I think the solution there is is the Android version. You know, like you, you open an Android app and there are multiple versions of that app. And so the, the you, that first time you open it, you get that choice where it says, do you want this to be the default? And so that's, that's I feel like in that experience, what I want is uh, I want to, I want that option so that if I'm like, say I'm on Chrome and I go to photos.google.com, if I have that option selected, it automatically launches Runs, the photo yeah. app for me. Yeah, I think that's good, but the problem is right now, the Photos app is an inferior experience, the Android app on True. the Chromebook yeah. Pixel, but it's a superior experience on the phone. So to me, actually what we want is context switching. You want to be able to be in Chrome on photos.google.com, the web version, on with your phone docked into a cable. And then when you unplug the phone, you want it to seamlessly transition to the Photos app, exactly yep. where you left off. Yes, that would be the holy grail. That's and the thing. When they, if they can pull that off, and I know because that's switching from web to an app, but if anyone can pull it off, Google can. And to me, that's what needs to happen because honestly, I feel like the photos.google.com is a way better experience on a desktop environment. And also, remember, there's a big thing still happening with the Chromebook, uh, sorry, the Pixelbook, is that if I run photos, uh, the website, I don't really have access to, you know, I have access to local storage, right? But I don't, I'm still in the cloud mostly, right? The photos are still sitting on Google servers. Whereas, um, you know, the photos app on Android, it gives me access to another local file system, but I, they don't see each other. Yeah, you you have to kind of give it direction. You have to give it some guidance there in order for them to to talk to one another. So we need some sort of unified file system slash some some seamless transition before that works. And and I think we're getting there. And I think the 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 Pixelbook is kind of like the hardware that might make that possible. And wow, what kind of it's such an amazing piece of sexy hardware too. <laughs> it is very nice. I love it. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think I'm hoping that we're going to see that. I know for a fact we're going to see um, Windows 10 machines running Snapdragon 845. And I've played with those. And let me tell you, I am stoked. Like, I'm not a big fan of Windows 10, but I feel that it's gotten, Windows has finally gotten decent with Windows 10. I feel that, like, the, the Surface Laptop was my first, uh, you know, uh, device that I use from Microsoft in a while. I have a Surface Pro 3 as well, but it's my first device I used for a while that felt out of the box as sorted as a MacBook. You know, I didn't have to update yeah. anything. It just worked. There was no driver issues. The trackpad was good. Everything just was fantastic. And it just feels like a nice machine. And it feels like nice. From... So I want this experience from Microsoft on Snapdragon and I've fixed, and I've seen it and I, it really doesn't feel slow. It, it runs 80, x86 apps just fine, like old ones. It's 
pretty pretty seamless and pretty awesome so i'm looking forward to it the battery life advantage and the lte connectivity advantage is the huge thing for me but you know there's strong rumors that we're going to see some chromebooks with 845 and i think that makes perfect sense that's the next logical step honestly you know well sure i mean we've already seen chromebooks with mobile processors in them so i mean yeah, like, but, but that's I mean, not a you know they weren't leap. good enough i think that, oh, you no. know honestly even the samsung exynos based chromebooks are kind of like wah, wah, wah. you open five tabs and you're done you know yeah but the 845 will fix that yeah well the 845 running windows 10 you if you're running edge browser or even like just chrome like you just install the chrome x86 binary and you can open like 15 tabs everything's just peachy it's amazing yeah yeah, so I'm I'm stoked about that. I, I think this is going to be a big deal. I really can't wait uh, for the sexy form factor version of these devices because honestly, what they announced in Hawaii, you know, as I said in my unbox, not unboxing, my sorry, my my hands-on videos, eh, you know, the, the Asus feels very thick and heavy and built to a price point. Um, it certainly gets the job done, but it's not sexy. The HP, I don't, I personally don't like detachables like i have a surface pro 3 and i like it but it's i can't make it my main device i need a laptop form factor that's why i like the pixel book so much is because i rarely use it as a tablet for me it's primarily a lap a really good chromebook and my macbook it's a 12 inch macbook is super small and super thin and i expect the snapdragon 845 windows 10 devices to even beat that in terms of form factor you know I, yeah, it's it's going to be really fun to see that play out, and it's going it, to the cool thing is because the Snapdragon eight forty five hasn't hasn't really launched yet. It's something we're going to see all year long. It's it's going to be a kind of a slow draw, and I'm I'm excited about that. So in terms of pure phones, you know, doing phone things, um, what are what are your expectations? You know, we've seen um, a lot of evolution this year, the big transition to, uh, 18, nine ultra widescreen edgeless displays, which I think is here to stay. I mean, the honor seven X at a $200 price point does this and does it really well. So I think everybody's going to have to jump on board. Um, I think it's going to carry on to the mid and low range, but what else are we going to see? I mean, you know, you're obviously been following AR core and other things. Do you think we're going to see depth fixing cameras front and back? on pretty much every uh, flagship device on Android coming up? Yeah, I, so what I think we're going to see there is is not so much uh, depth on the front facing. I think that we're going to see depth in the, the rear cameras. Uh, I think what we'll see is probably something very similar to what happened to the, the Pixel 2. Uh, you know, through, but, but, you know, kind of deployed across the, the rest of this space because you, you know, Samsung is approaching things from a slightly different perspective. They're going for the, a lot of the manufacturers really are going for that kind of dual camera route uh, for, for this year and, and moving into next year. But we saw from Google uh, with the pixel that it's, it's not super necessary, especially not for, for depth sensing stuff, you know, being able to do the depth sensing stuff in software uh, was a, a really big deal. And so I think we're going to see this kind of split where we see, you know, some camera manufacturers, you know, taking uh, what I guess will be called the Apple approach, uh, where we're seeing, you know, kind of dual right. sensors. Uh, and then we'll see others who are who are going to lean on, uh, you know, Google. I hope we see manufacturers kind of lean into Google uh, in the hopes of kind of licensing the Google Photo camera app. 
Yeah. Uh, and using kind of the, the software sensing to, to push that. I would like well, to see re- that Remember happen. that the software sensing is not the only story. The Pixel does use dual pixel autofocus technology to get a yes. depth perception mm-hmm. map as well. And that is a very unique approach that nobody's done before because lots of phones have dual pixel autofocus. Uh, U11, Galaxy S8, Note 8, but nobody's doing depth sensing with that right. technology. And that was that plus the AI is really what makes it killer. I think the AI is pretty damn good as we can see from the front-facing camera, obviously. But I feel that, to me, I think there's going to be three techniques to do the depth sensing. And it's going to be used for AR. But I also think that we're going to see it very commonly on front-facing cameras for authentication. I think face idea is the beginning of something that is going to become totally normal to us within three years. And everybody's going to master it. And if the Galaxy, the next Galaxy, the S9, whatever it's called, does not have um, as good as face ID face sensing, because what they have on the 8 and the you know 8 Plus and the Note, does not count. It does not work. For me, I cannot use retina scanning. It just fails every time and it's frustrating. I turn it off. And the face recognition they have is easy to fool. And it's, you know, just like the old Android that was introduced with what? The Galaxy Nexus version of, uh, I mean, that stuff is obsolete. So I want to see them follow in the footsteps of Apple because I think Apple is onto something. And it's not so much that we don't need a fingerprint reader. I'd like to have both for transition period. But I think it's the idea that you can look at your phone and re-authenticate multiple times a day. You know what I'm saying? I you're do, m- but I also think when, when when I think about what you're saying there with with kind of the multiple points of authentication, uh, I'm remember I'm reminded of that uh, that Google ATAP project. Uh, that was that kind of constant uh, authentication using all different forms of biometric and sound authentication and stuff. Right. And I feel I wonder if we will see companies, if not Google, then maybe another company make that full jump instead of doing just like just leaning on the facial record. Oh, yeah, uh, for stuff. sure. No, no, absolutely. I mean, Google's already doing it. Right. And And I think Amazon is gathering a crap ton of data through Alexa right now on recognizing individual people's voices. Remember, folks, and I'm just saying that not just for you, obviously, because I know you know this, Russell, but the fundamental way these systems work is the more data you have, the better the machine learning works. And I think, honestly, like I, I had this kind of epiphany. I was waiting. I, I posted about this on my Facebook, friends only, but have a look at it. I was at Whole Foods getting a sandwich in San Francisco a week ago. And you know, I don't generally go to Whole Foods, but I was kind of hungry, and there it was. And I'm waiting in line. It's a busy day. It's just before Christmas, and I'm observing people. And I use contactless payment all the time. I use Android Pay for pretty much every every time I can, and it works great at Whole Foods. It's completely seamless. If you spend less, I think, than $25, you don't have to sign or anything. It just works. Um, and I'm observing that really few people are using contactless payment, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of odd we're in san francisco too like in a part of town that's pretty wealthy so i was like this is interesting but um then it occurred to me you know amazon owns whole foods now and it occurred to me that a lot of people have alexas in their home and now alexa recognizes individual speakers in your family right yeah and i was like what if they applied that data to payment and when i check out all i have to do is talk and it recognizes who i am from the massive alexa data set it has and it charges my account for small purchases. I don't even need a phone. I just need my voice. And then I thought, wait a minute, let's go beyond that. Surveillance cameras already pre-installed, right? In all these shops. What if the surveillance cameras have depth sensing and can map my face at the same time? Now we have double authentication, my voice and the face, and I don't have to carry anything to pay. 
Yeah, so I mean... Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I mean, it's exciting. I think doing it that way would probably, at least in the immediate future, involve the camera being uh, like Closer. at the register. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I love the idea. That that whole... And, and it only works uh, in, in kind of the less creepy way uh, with multiple points of authentication. So like using the voice and using the, the depth map of the face and using, Correct. you know, kind of... Uh, if it's something that's within your normal travel route, uh, you know, having all of those things combined, uh, I I love that idea. I love the the kind of that constant trust score. I think uh, it's gonna happen. People are gonna hate it, but I think it's gonna happen. It sounds really creepy. Like if you try and explain that to someone, it sounds like something straight out of a you know a sci-fi novel or or a bad movie. But, a dystopian future, right? But seeing it work, that that is very exciting to me. Yeah, and so I think to me, if Android manufacturers, and I think. Huawei is definitely hinted to, that they're heading in that direction. And I really wouldn't be surprised if Samsung tries to match Apple here. We're going to have to start seeing front-facing cameras with depth authentication or depth mapping for authentication. And But I am excited about one of the things, I just got an iPhone 10, and one of the things that really got me super stoked is that you looked at, you know, when the notifications pop up on the screen, if you look at the phone, you can see the details of the the notifications yeah. instantly, like it. But it, only if you look at the phone. But only if you look at phone, which is really really cool. That's what I mean by continuous authentication. It's like if I stop looking, they go away. I look again, they come back. Like a fingerprint reader does not have that that kind of continuous context, right? You're just touching it once. It authenticates. It times out after what is it, 24 hours, 48 hours, or something, right? If you don't use a phone. Yeah, whatever um, you set it to. There's something there that times out in terms of like requiring you to use your fingerprint again. But my point is, you know, with this, you could almost have authentication every single time you pick up your phone, which in a way is way more secure than you touching your fingerprint reader from time to time, you know? And because, yeah, and definitely. I'm saying this because a lot of us, like I need, I have my Huawei watch paired to my Pixel 2 XL and that's, it's, I, I call it a trusted device so that I don't actually have to use my fingerprint reader half the time on the, on the Pixel 2, right? If I'm in my car, it's paired via Bluetooth. I don't have to touch it. Um, it's also a trusted device. So like in my home, I've set it so that it knows I'm at home and it doesn't ask you for my fingerprint reader. You know, I still do it a lot, but I don't think it needs it. So this, but it's not very secure because technically if I'm at home and somebody went to my home and grabbed my phone, they could get in, right? Because they don't need my fingerprint readers. So to me, having the face ID thing running all the time is just the best solution, right? Also, you know, for you, you have kids. The kids can't mess with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, for some of our work we do, you know, embargoes and other, you know, NDAs, I mean, some of that stuff is, is pretty, you know, needs to be protected. And it's really important that no eyes can see it. So I don't know. I th I'm really gung ho about this, and I want to see I, I, if I'm going to be very disappointed if, if Samsung at least doesn't bring us something. I know that Huawei will, and they might be later in the year, maybe with Mate 11. I'm not sure we're going to see it with the P11, but we'll see. You know. Yeah. So the other thing, I, I think we're going to see more push into this the 16 by 9 displays. You know, they they were already very popular this year. You mean 18 uh, by 9? I'm sorry, 18 by 9. Uh, and I think. I think that that raises a lot of questions that we're going to see answered this year as far as the durability of the phones that have these displays. I think that that's going to be a question that gets discussed this year is, you know, having these bezel-less phones, uh, you know, does it does it make the phone, you know, more prone to damage? And if so, are these companies going to react quickly to deal with it? But, I don't you know. know. You know, I mean, so far, I have not heard too many people complain about breaking their Galaxy S8 or Note 8, which is probably the the most prevalent and most sold of yeah. the 
of the fancy display phones today. And, and that one's really tricky because it's got the rounded edges, so it's even more fragile in many ways than, say, uh, an LG V30 or a, an iPhone 10 because those don't wrap around on the edges as much. So I don't, I don't think it's an issue, frankly. I think, I think we're not going to see more issues with those things than we're going to see with anything that went prior. I, I just think that people are just going to be careful, more careful maybe. I, I don't think they have to be, though. I, yeah, I so I'm, but that like that was the big question that I heard from a lot of people when when these displays first started was is you know I'm going to wait a little while because I'm not sure how fragile these things are going to be. So I think by the uh, by the start of next year that it'll it'll kind of be a proven thing, and then you know we'll see uh, you know companies like Motorola dive in uh, more than likely. I think it'd be interesting to see Motorola dive in uh, to this eight b eighteen by nine thing and still keep the. Oh, I think they can do it. You know, they could have uh, done it this year. My theory is that all they had to do was a Sony-style fingerprint reader on the edge for the power button. Yeah. It, and then this something. year, they can do under display because we know that's coming. That's another thing we should talk about. I'm pretty sure we're going to see a phone by Vivo at CS with an under display yes, fingerprint absolutely. sensor. And that's going to be the first. And then it might migrate. I think the OnePlus 6 might be the first kind of like American available device. And maybe Samsung. I wouldn't be surprised if the S9 or the Note 9 or whatever it's going to be called has has it as a in addition to some sort of Face ID thing. And you can choose, or you can have both, kind of like on the OnePlus 5T. I'm actually using both right now. And the Face stuff works. I mean, it's not as secure as Face ID. It's not the same. It's not, you know. But it does work better than any other face recognition I've used short of Apple's. So it's pretty impressive. It's going to be very cool, I think. To to I I'm I, I I'm really pessimistic about the first one from Vivo not working well. Oh, of just course, because but uh, <laughs> but uh, I think by the end of the year it's going to be very cool. Yeah, and I think honestly, you know, it's going to take a while for the fingerprint reader to go away. I I really think that having both will be great for a lot of people because I think right now it's really polarizing in the in the iPhone world, right? I mean, I know some people who specifically bought an iPhone eight. Uh, or 8 Plus, usually the 8, because they still want the smaller phone, but they just don't want to give up that home button. They're just not They're just not into it. They tried it, and they're like, ugh, no, cannot do. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, we, I think, are a special breed. We adapt, right? For me, it was just like, okay, it's annoying the first few times, and then I got used to it. And because I'm primarily an Android user, I'm, I don't have as much of a reflex of using the home button like a hardcore Apple user is, you know, so... Yeah, I think I think it's going to be interesting. What other tech do you think we're going to see more become more prevalent? What about pure imaging? To me, I think the the Pixel Two set the bar that everybody else has has to meet this year, right? Yeah, but I feel like we said the same thing last year, or at least I did. But they did match it. Yeah, but it, I mean, it took a little bit. Like Samsung really didn't nail it out of the box. Uh, with with a lot of stuff they did with uh with stabilization because stabilization was a big part of the problem with the uh with the pixel 2 uh but but really as far as like uh low light stuff uh you know it wasn't until later in the year like lg i think did a better job uh when it when it comes to to imaging uh than than samsung did at least for for everything but stabilization the thing that i feel like samsung did really really well this year was that it really didn't matter what where what position you were in if you hit the shutter button you got a decent picture it yeah, was not no, the best true. picture, but it was a decent picture. For sure. And and I think, you know, the Pixel 2 just redefined what can be done. And I think it just really made, to me, it's the first 
true win for computational photography. Like the first time Absolutely. where hardware becomes less and less relevant here. And, and you know, if you look at the hardware on the Pixel 2 XL, it checks all the boxes. It has all the thing, ingredients it needs to be a decent camera. It has OIS, has large pixels, has a good sensor, has a relatively fast lens, but it's not that fast. And yeah, and yet it's the computational aspects that, you know, make it so incredible and part of the reason it's so good in low light it's not that it's intrinsically better than a u11 low light it's just that all this fancy computational photography this this multiple shots you know where they mosaic them and they take multiple parts and rearrange them and do pixel binning and all this crazy stuff which they all lump into hdr plus uh is magic it's the end result is you can literally, I don't know if you, you got you got a Pixel 2 or use one, but oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, right? You you take a shot and you can literally see it processing the image and it like looks okay and then pop. It's perfect. Yep. Right? That was a really interesting conversation that uh, Rene Ritchie over at iMore and I ended up having. Oh, uh, because, you, tell. <laughs> uh, you know, Rene had this really interesting point about using the iPhone 10 and, and, and the iPhone 8 uh, for, uh, for taking pictures is that what you see through the viewfinder uh, is what you get when you hit the shutter button. And that's true for portrait mode. It's true for, for all of these things. Uh, you know, Apple delivers what you see through the, the, the display. Uh, Google delivers a far better picture uh, in, in a lot of different environments, but you don't see it until after through, through the process that you just described through HDR plus and, and through, uh, you know, the, the AI for portrait mode and things like that. Uh, and so it's, it was a really curious conversation as to which was better being able to see the result <laughs> in real time or knowing that the picture would be better later. And it's an interesting thought. You know, I personally, uh, you know, it's, I've used the Pixel the the Pixel original enough, and then the Pixel two enough to trust the the camera, so that when I take a picture, I know that when I look at it later, it's going to be a great picture. Uh, but there is something to be said for being able to look through the viewfinder and knowing that that is exactly the picture you're going to get when you hit the shutter button. Yeah, but I don't think photography works that way. You know, cameras. There's always been a quote unquote development process to a photo. Sure. Oh no. Yeah, I totally. And agree. so I think that you know. <sighs> I think if you can frame your photo properly and get a feel for the lighting uh, settings that you should be setting, if you're doing like manual exposure or whatever, I think that's good. That's good enough. I mean, the rest after that is just gravy and gravy in this case is pretty damn delicious. You know, I don't know. I think, I, I, I think honestly, here's my thing about a lot of what Rene says and I love Rene, but because he's such an iPhone fanboy, he needs to justify the iPhone being somehow better. And that <laughs> was the only way here that he could do it because look, I have an iPhone 10 and I love it. It takes great photos. It's really good. It's absolutely competitive. Top five in every way that phone. But sorry, the Pixel 2 blows it away in photography. Oh. I am oh, very yeah. sorry to say that. But look, let's not kid ourselves here, okay? Nothing can touch the Pixel 2 and Pixel 2 XL today. Nothing. Oh, totally, totally. Things and, come and close, but they cannot touch it. When it comes it to is, stills... It's also interesting that the iPhone hasn't been the best camera in a couple of generations now. Like that's it. There was a there was a period of time, you know, where where that was kind of the the given, and over the past couple of years, it hasn't, and that's that's interesting for a couple of reasons. But I think really what it comes down to is is knowing uh, is what you said the 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 development process. You know, knowing that when you go back later and look, the photo is better is is kind of more important. 
Yeah, and honestly, you know, I sometimes still edit the photos afterwards and tweak them some more, either in photos or in Snapseed, because sometimes I feel like the Pixel 2 underexposes a little bit, and I like my images to pop a little more. So I go in there and I fine-tune a few things and I save them and I'm happy. And honestly, I do this more now with the starting with the Pixel last year and now the Pixel 2, primarily because the Photos app is so good and also primarily because I feel like I have a really good baseline to start editing and not make it worse, you know? Um, which wasn't always the case in previous phones. So I used to be a lot more conservative about my further developing of the developing, if you want to say that. <laughs> you know, my manual tweaking of the development. Um, but I, I do believe that tweaking your photos after taking them, if you are a mobile photographer like I am, it's something I didn't used to do, but now I do it almost every time. And it just, we have such good starting points and now we have so much freedom to play with them, to make them even more artistic and expressive that I, I want to do it, you know, and I do it a lot. It's just usually very subtle to the point where I don't really feel like I, I need to like caveat people saying, oh, this has been an edited photo because it's still close enough to the original that I don't feel like I need to be like, oh, yeah, I put this through like five Snapseed filters or something. Oh, yeah. No, and then you have silly people like me who uh, I love the uh, the deep blue toggle in ah, Google the Photos. Deep blue, yeah, I just blew everything. Yeah, yeah I uh, I get a little crazy with that one sometimes. So I feel you there. Yeah, but I mean, like, I'll give you an example. I, when I was at uh, at the at the conference in Hawaii, Qualcomm's, and I, I wanted to do a quick hands-on video and and with uh, these new uh, Snapdragon 845 Windows 10 devices, and I was like, okay, I've got my Sony Nex here in my bag, but you know, I don't feel like taking it out. I'm just going to do a quick video with a Pixel because it's so well stabilized. I know it's going to look good, and the video was fine. I mean. To my standards, good enough because my standards are pretty low for video. Um, and my, you know, I just posted YouTube, it was done. But I took some stills as well to kind of use as, you know, thumbnails and to illustrate and to post on Twitter and stuff. And because the screens were, you know, the brightness was set a little too high and I didn't go in there to tweak them too much. They, you know, they were, they didn't look great, those photos. I mean, they looked okay. They're the best that the Pixel could pull out of it. But I fixed them in photos afterwards by tweaking primarily the the deep blues actually yeah. by sliding it all the way back to nothing i got the blueness of the screen to disappear and then i was able to tweak the rest of the white balance so that the room looked okay the screen looked okay the brightness was right and i posted some photos that i feel even my nex would probably not have produced with some photoshop or or lightroom editing after the fact in raw it was that's it was like a turning point for me i was like i can actually use my Pixel and Photos app and just JPEGs and post those and do a hands-on now. Wow, amazing. So that was a pretty big revelation. And uh, I think the deep blue was definitely a setting I needed the most for that because I needed to like the, the screen looked so blue compared to the background that I just needed to crank it down and make it look white again. And that worked. And I didn't lose any of the other color information in the screen. It's, it is borderline magic sometimes what that simple photos app can do. I know it's pretty crazy. In fact, I find it at times even, you know, there are some things that Snapseed I think does better, like the perspective adjustment and stuff. I really wish mm -hmm. that existed in the, um, in the photos app. But honestly, most of the time, I don't even touch Snapseed anymore, which used to be my number one go-to development app um, or editing app, as if some people like to say. But I think of it as just developing photos now. Um, the only thing, my only regret, frankly, with the Pixel 2 and 2XL 
in terms of photography, as somebody who likes to play and be creative with photos, is that I have very few settings I can tweak at the time I'm taking the photo. There is no manual mode. There is, you know, uh, no way for me to focus on something specific by manually focusing, you know. To me, that's probably the biggest flaw. And yes, you can install manual camera apps from the Android App Store, but then you lose all the goodness from uh, Google's processing, right? Right. So I don't want to do that. So Google, next year, you know, please give us a manual mode you can switch into. Just, just do it. You and can even have fun and call it a pro mode. We won't judge whatever. you too hard. Exactly. I mean, look, Huawei does it. And in the Mate 10 Pro, which I think is probably my second favorite phone for photography, um, because it does do some computational stuff that's okay. Uh, I think the, the pro mode is what makes me be the most creative and having a full-on monochrome mode is also really awesome. And then my third or second, yeah, that's like a toss between the Mate and the uh, and the V30 as my kind of favorite, uh, you know, camera phone that I can tweak things and be artistic with because that super wide angle lens is so sweet on the V30. It's really good. I don't know if you played with it. Oh yeah, yeah. That that wide angle lens is a uh, it's it's a toy. Like you know, when when you go to play with it, you it it never doesn't put a smile on your face. It's it's a lot of fun. It's good, and and I think you know it gives you it opens up a bunch of creativity because there's a manual mode with the wide angle, and and that you can you can do some stuff. Um, but I mean, look, I think this year the S nine and the whatever LG phones and the the new P eleven or whatever Mate eleven the Huawei phones all of these are gonna have to have you know to live up to the Pixel two's mighty uh, goodness in terms of photography and that's gonna be challenging and I think that's gonna be the question can can they pull it off and I have a theory Russell that um, if Google makes that stuff available to to them good through Android somehow but if Google doesn't they're not gonna be able to catch up. And you know why? Because it's not about the technology here. Anybody can create the AI-based machine learning algorithms that Google has created. In fact, the photo companies like the Leicas and, and Nikons and Canons uh, and Hasselblads of the world could totally do this and probably do it better than Google. The problem is this. Nobody has the data set that Google has. Right, yeah. Because every photo, people, every photo you upload to Google Photos and not to mention that, but all the photos that are in searching, in searchable, like in, in Google search, right? Like the, like the image section of the Google search website, like there's billions of photos there. And those can all be mined by Google's AI for, you know, more accurate uh, photography. And that I think is where, you know, Huawei can claim all they want that they have AI in their camera on the Mate 10. They just can't be as good they just don't have as good a data set that's all you know it's hard to brag about machine learning when you're not learning as fast as some of the other companies so now apple could do it because they have apple photos but they choose not to they, they are, choose not to because yeah. we got to protect people's privacy blah 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 it's uh yeah it's it's really fascinating to see the the areas in which apple lags behind specifically because they they are taking this quote-unquote high road on uh, on data security yeah well they're gonna screw themselves in the foot i tell you that right now what what does what does renee have to say about that he's you know team privacy and and it's not you know when you look at how many data breaches we had this year across just the u.s you look at like data companies and, and you know financial institutions that lost their data it's an easy thing to be afraid of 
I don't know that it's a justifiable thing when it comes to the stuff that's on your phone, but it's an easy thing to be afraid of. So it's it's understandable. No, I get it. But I think like, you know, we're only going to get this level of convenience and processing power if we are willing to kind of crowdsource the data. The, 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 the issue is not, it's not one of crowdsourcing the data. It's an issue of making it secure and private enough. You know, and Google has been kind of fast and loose on that, but there's nothing preventing them from being slightly tighter on it. And and that's what I want to see from them. I want them to kind of be a little bit more um, open as to what is going on so people have choices. Enough that people can decide, but not enough that they're going to lose the data. You know what I'm saying? Sure. It's, it's going to be a fine line. It's really going to be marketing at this point. It's going to be about wording things in the terms of service and in the and, and vetting the media and vetting everyone else to so that they can clearly explain to the people out there in layman's terms what's going on with their data. And then, you know, also don't be a jerk. Like, don't use their personal stuff when you only need anonymous stuff to do the work, right? So I think that I'm, I'm all for that, but I do feel that you know, I'm kind of on the side on the air. I, I err on the side, sorry, of, well, I think the, the greater good will benefit anyway. So, oh, well, you lost a little bit of your privacy. Big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really complicated. You know, if, if someone is really that concerned about their, their privacy, that, that there's, you know, the, the whole use anonymization. Facebook, right. right. <laughs> I mean, I think it's the worst. I mean, they're probably the worst offenders. They sell your data left, right, and said, I think Google's actually not that bad. I mean, they use it for their own good, for search and, you know, to, you know, for the advertising revenue business. And we know that. They've never tried to hide that, but we never really know what Facebook does with our data. Aside from endlessly experiment on us in public. No crap, right? I mean, it's like, <laughs> geez, like, we know what happened to the election, right? I mean, come on. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm torn. I, I get it. Like, I mean, privacy does matter to people. I understand why they're weary, especially when you see things like, you know, the data breach you've seen this year. I mean, the Equifax thing, honestly, I'm not surprised. This is an old company that doesn't really master technology, that is a very government affiliated. Of course, it's going to be a complete mess. But I mean, honestly, I've been using Google since the early 2000s and they've never messed with my data. No, and I, I, I can't say me, that. And they've always given me the tools to protect my data. Like the, they have the best two-factor authentication in the universe right now. I mean, I don't think two-factor using text messaging is secure at all. So I don't use it. I don't use it on Twitter anymore. I use it. I use their code generation stuff where I have an right. app on my phone that generates codes. It's way, way better. Of course, then my phone is, you know, you know, becomes very, it needs to be much more tight, but I, you know, I tighten it pretty hard. And, and I think ultimately, if I really was worried, I would not use my fingerprint reader at all. Not because I don't trust the fingerprint reader data, just because I think from a legal perspective, like, you know, you can't be forced to give out your fingerprint, except for physically, I suppose, but you, you can be forced to give out. Uh, so, so you can. So it's the other way around. You can't be forced to give out a passcode, but you can be forced to to unlock with your fingerprint if you say at the border or you know, the or the, or the authorities want it, at least legally, right? So I think you know if you really want to protect yourself on your phone, don't use any authentication other than some sort of really complicated passcode. And yeah, it's a hassle, right? Because you have to like unlock your phone all the time with a passcode. That's it's a constant balance. Security is is a is a you know convenience versus you know, protection. You know you, you you want to be the the way to be the most secure 
is to have, you know, this ridiculously long password that only you know that, you know, doesn't take you long to open and then that you don't type in in public, like you said. But, you know, that's that's an inconvenient thing to do all the time. So the, yeah, the, that it's balance... Not realis- it's not realistic. I, I, think, I think that there's that balance. And I think that the Apple and the Google camp are on two different sides of the balance. Because you can't, you know, I, I hope the Apple proponents are, are understanding that they're they're missing out on some functionality that Apple can inherently not implement because Apple is being so supposedly bent on privacy because I, I think a lot of it is marketing and talk. I don't really believe based on my experience using their cloud services that they are necessarily more secure than Google's cloud services. No, and we've seen examples of, of you know, especially their photo services being breached, you know, for... Uh, celebrities the, wasn't it yeah celebrities was a was a big part of that you know and, and there wasn't just apple it was blackberry and, and a bunch of other services but you know the the core there is you know being able to claim superiority means kind of having to back that up and it's it's not something they've really been able to do i, I do think they have an advantage by tightly integrating the hardware and the software right and I do have an advantage because they upgrade their phones guaranteed for at least two, three years, whatever it is, and you get security updates Im- immediately, right? All that is really, really tight. And you can only really get that on a Pixel slash Nexus experience on, on Android. On nothing else, you get that level of of urgency of updates. And that, sure. I think, is one of the areas where Android is a risk. But I think that, and you know, every uh, InfoSec person I've ever talked to says, yeah, I use an iPhone because I think it's more secure. And I believe that. But at the same time, I don't think you I don't think being more secure and using an iPhone 10 means that you can't benefit from all this cloud crowdsource stuff. And that's where I think Apple is wrong. Like why can't you crowdsource the stuff so you can get a better experience for your users? Aren't you all about a better experience in the end? Yeah, I mean at the end of the day like, you know, make let it be my decision. Right. So what do you think we're going to see? Do we are we going to see Apple finally like take some steps towards in a more secure way using some of the data from their customers? Or are we going to see Google becoming more privacy centric, like a little bit more just enough to kind of appease everyone, but still get their stuff out? Like, what do you think is going to happen this year on that? I think we're going to see, you know, Apple take this kind of, uh, you know, front seat when it comes to, you know, the, the continuation of security, but I think Google is going to keep pushing, you know, stuff that you can do with your own data. And that's, that's their big thing this year has been uh, not the, 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 my Google thing, you know, make, making it an entirely personalized experience. Yeah. I hear you. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit. I want to, th- you know, audio is a big focus. Um, I'm very happy that we got the best audio on any phone this year through the V30 through the headphone jack. So speaking of headphone jacks, it's very clear with Google doing a complete 180 and completely screwing us over this year on the Pixel 2 when they went on and on about how they had a headphone jack last year on the Pixel uh, and removing it this year that, the you know, a lot of people are going to be seeing new phones without headphone jacks this year. Do you think, uh, so, so far, Samsung, LG, OnePlus, and to some extent Huawei have resisted that trend Although Huawei, the Mate 10 Pro, and it has no headphone jack. Um, do you think the new flagships from these companies this year will um, will skip the headphone jack and will be completely SOL? I don't think LG will. I, I think LG has done, you know, so much push into their audio quality that I I don't think that they will. But look, will HTC make had shift. done that too. The HTC 10 was one of the best sounding phones on the market until the V20 hit, and then the next year U11 they dropped it. 
Yeah, but I think HTC uh, HTC's focus on audio was a lot less branded by that point because they they, they had moved away from the kind of the Beats branding and because that that kind of sank for them. It didn't it didn't boost them the way that they wanted it to. So I'm I'm hopeful that that stays. As for the other companies, I'm I'm not convinced that they're going to keep them. I, I think that we I will think OnePlus might see because they're one, smart. Maybe I one plus one plus also told their their uh, audience that the reason that they didn't have uh, that they didn't enable daydream on their phones is because no one wanted it. <laughs> well, they said that about NFC on the one plus two and that didn't turn out too well for them. Right. Now, did it? But look, I mean, they much the thing about one plus is that they will change their mind because they're very money driven. Um, if they do, they'll screw us over. People will be mad, but people will quickly forget because the phone will be affordable and really awesome. Uh, so they could go either way. LG, I agree with you, is the most likely to keep it. I am really worried that Samsung's going to drop it. And if they do, because of the volume they sell, the number of phones, we're going to be SOL. Everybody else is going to jump in the next year. Yeah, I think Samsung's going to ditch it this year. I, it wouldn't shock me. Oof. What if they don't, though? Wouldn't that be great? It would be cool. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's always a nice option to have. Uh, you know, especially... I. I think the only way that Samsung really drops it is if they drop it and then also push, uh, you know, some kind of special branded Bluetooth 5 headphones, like with the phone, not, oh, not love... like included in the box, but, yeah, yeah. but like, you know, sold at the same time. I feel like that's the only way that that really happens. I agree. And I love how you just gave me a segue to talk <laughs> about the Google Pixel Buds. Thank you. Everyone loves the dumpster fire. Go for it. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so look, look, I know I read the reviews. I saw everything was written about the Pixel Buds before I tried mine out. So I went into it with pretty low expectations, but I'm like, seriously, how bad can it be, right? I'm like, maybe they're just nitpicking because all the other Google products this year, the Pixel Book, Pixel 2, in uh, the home products have been really great. So let's see what's really going on. And you know me, I'm a bit of an audiophile, so I do have high standards and I'm not going to compromise these high standards. So here's my takeaway. And I think I tweeted about it. I mean, the, the reality for me is uh, the biggest problem I first experienced with this product is it, the fit. Like it does not fit well in my ears. It's hard to put in and out. It is not very well designed in terms of you know, and yeah, I know you can adjust like that weird little thing where you can adjust the <laughs> end of the strap to like kind of have it hold in your ear. Seriously, bad design. Uh, I expect my earbuds to like just like pop them in my ear and they just hold and they work. I think the AirPods do that well. My super fancy Edematics ER4S's that are 20 year old uh, and are in, in ear canal um, noise, they're noise canceling simply because they're essentially earplugs. Um, you know, they don't have active electronics to do it. Uh, fit way better than than those Google Pixel Buds do. It's crazy. And so that was my first experience. I was like, oh, this is frustrating. Um, I didn't have too many problems like with that the lanyard, um, you're curling it up in the case and closing the case and the case cl staying closed. A lot of people report issues that. For me, that was, that's been pretty seamless. I understand how it works now. I can put them back in pretty well. Um, but once I had them in and I managed to finally fit them in right, the sound was very, I felt the sound was neutral, but very meh. And what I mean by that is it's better than a lot of the earbuds I've used that are in that, in that kind of like, you know, claim to be good, but aren't really that good. Um, you know, to me, it's like a lot of the supplied with or sold by manufacturers 
that make phones earbuds. So that includes the AirPods, by the way, which I don't think sound that great. What I liked about the Pixel Buds is that they sound neutral. So they don't emphasize the bass or the trebles or anything. They sound pretty balanced, but the imaging is very, very poor. And um, they kind of sound mushy and generally a little meh in dynamic range and stuff. So, you know, but I expected that. And I think for that price point, that's okay. Uh, but again, you know, um, quality is meh. I was expecting more for that price, maybe. I don't know, because it was Google. I was like, okay, you can do better. Um, and then, you know, the Google Assistant stuff is cool, right? Because it works. But I have lots of other earbuds that are wireless that do Google Assistant just fine, right? I mean, do you have any? I do. I they. Uh, it's the not like headphones... a, a Pixel Bud exclusive to have like Google Assistant working properly. I don't. I, no. don't, I didn't get the big stick sh- sh- there. No, the, the you know so Google Assistant working the way that it worked was was okay, and uh, there have been other headphones that have done it pretty well. The the seamless pairing, I that is I really cool. liked. But it's not the only ones. Like the the what's it called the the. They gave us a pair when they shipped us the Pixel review yep. units. They gave us that, you know, that like over the head pair that did the same. Can Libertone? Libertone? What was it? Libertone. Libertone. Yep. So that's not exclusive. I like that it's USB C based. That's one of the pluses. But um, the the other thing is, you know, I did like the reading out of the notifications. Is that Pixel Buds only, or is that available in other? You know, no, that's currently something that you're only going to get with the Pixel Buds. It's it's a it's a software thing, but it's been made clear that you know the other ones will get it eventually. Yeah. So okay. Uh, so and then the the touch interface is terrible. Every time I touch the thing, I I do something stupid with it, like putting in my ear. Since I have a problem fitting it, it's like I'm constantly doing things with it, and the assistant's going off. My music starts playing. Oh man, seriously, we just have a button on there, a physical clicky button. <laughs> um, and then finally the translation stuff. What's the point again? Why can't I just hold my phone in front of my mouth like I do in ca- taxis in Hong Kong all the time and go like, uh, take me to this hotel. And then it spells like, what do I need earbuds for this? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the whole thing there, you know, because you were there when they first announced these, the, well, you know, this this was the, the reason that these headphones existed was was a way to, to was a science the experiment. The Babelfish, basically. right? To, yeah, to, to make it kind of, uh, to practice, you know, this this kind of back and forth. So it wasn't like, it wasn't about translating a single sentence so much as it was uh, enabling a back and forth conversation with the translation. And it doesn't feel like they stuck the landing like that. No, I mean, ultimately, the other thing is it's a flawed product because it's attached by a cord. If they really wanted to compete, these things would be completely individual and you stick them in your ear just like the AirPods. And that would have been what I expected from Google to be able to pull off. Um, and so they haven't done that. Um, basically Apple's the only way, the only company has done that. Right. And it's amazing to me. I, I know blue, the Samsung has a set that's separate like this too, but I haven't tried them. So I don't know if they're any good. The, the reality is odd to me that nobody's been able to pull that off yet. And certainly Google, I was expecting if they make earbuds, they're going to be individual separate earbuds, but no. So overall, don't spend your money on that is all I'm going to say. You can get, most of that experience from other, from other products and with better sound quality and, and just a less frustrating experience in terms of fitment and interface and the Babelfish universal translation thing, you know, is far from being a thing yet. I mean, it just doesn't seem to add too much more than just holding your phone to somebody's face. Here's hoping for a solid second try. Oh yeah. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna fix this up somehow. Let's see how it goes. I believe in them. 
And then the other product I played with, I insinuated I when he started, was the um, front row camera by a company named Ubiquity. And uh, it's interesting. So um, it is a an essentially an Android phone shrunk down to the size of a uh, um, you know a pocket watch, essentially like a large pocket watch. So it's all it's all round, right? So yeah, it looks like a stopwatch or a pocket yeah. watch. And then you can you can hang it around your neck with a lanyard, or you can clip it to your belt. There's a clip belt clip mode accessory, whatever. And then you can um, so it has a so the the back of it, which is actually the front, because if you wear it as a pendant, the screen should be touching your chest, and the back should be facing outward. The back has a OIS uh, like a pretty high quality camera with OIS and electronic stabilization as well. And so. And the front has, well, the part that is against your chest, if you're wearing it as a pendant, has a round screen, a round display. I don't know the resolution. And I really don't know what chipset they're running and stuff. But it's running Android, like very heavily skinned. Um, and it has a front-facing camera, which I'm not sure what it's used for because, well, maybe taking a selfie while you're using the screen for something as a viewfinder, I guess. Um, but the idea is that you have a camera on you at all time. You don't have to pull out your phone. You can just pick this thing up and there's a little button like where a stopwatch, a start stop button would be on a stopwatch. There's a button there. And if you hold it that way, you don't obscure the camera. So it's actually really well done. So you can like, you know, pull it from your chest and snap a photo, look at the viewfinder. And basically you have a, a camera that's ready to go instantaneously. It's a high quality camera and it stores the photos on the device. And then you can browse the photos from an app on your smartphone, Android or iOS. I think Curve might, might only support Android right now, but it's a good idea. It's Wi-Fi and Bluetooth connected to your devices, to your phone, to your network. It, it knows to auto switch to, um, to your Wi-Fi at home. Uh, otherwise it kind of turns into a hotspot and, and your phone can access the photos quickly that way. And you can do video and it's, it's pretty good quality photography. All that is great. But then, you know, this whole life blogging aspect to it where you can wear it and it takes like a time lapse throughout your day up to seven or eight hours. I can't remember. And you can set how many times per second or per minute per hour it takes a photo. It's kind of cool. And it kind of, you know, lets you what they they call them stories, it lets you like create these stories that show what you've been up to today. And I tried it and I don't. I guess maybe I'm not from the Snapchat generation, so I don't get it. Huh. It's like one of those things where the kids will probably dig it, but I don't, you know? It's, you know, it's something that, that companies have been trying since that, uh, that narrative clip. That's uh, the one I was thinking of when we were talking pre-podcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I honestly, it's cool, but I, I don't get it much. I'm much more interested in actually filming hands-free video, like Google Glass style by putting the pendant around my neck because it has really good stabilization. Uh, maybe driving a car or something. If I put it high up around my neck. Uh, it'll get a pretty good view of what I'm seeing. Uh, then the other thing is honestly holding it as a stopwatch and actually using it as a camera um, that you can kind of like, kind of like the re-camera from HTC. You can put it in like nooks and crannies, you know, like in places where your phone doesn't really fit that well. It's kind of nice for that. And the other thing I thought was cool was that, you know, it's Android. So they do have some apps on there that are, that they've been tweaked for the interface, but there's Spotify. So you can listen to music with Bluetooth. Uh, and they have like a, tra a translation app, which looks a lot like Google Translate. Um, and so there, you know, there's a potential for this thing to be a full on, essentially Android mini tablet in a, 
in a pocketable watch form factor. It is bigger than a watch. I mean, the screen is probably two and a half inch in diameter. Like it's not as small as, it's much bigger than your average smartwatch. So think more of it as a round phone that doesn't have cellular in your pocket with a decent camera. And the imaging stuff is definitely solid. It's just, I'm not sure I need it when I have a Pixel 2 XL in my pocket that takes such good photos, you know? Yeah, it all comes down to whether you can fit that life logging style uh, into your life. That is what it seems like. I, I like, uh, I, I gotta say that like having, having not actually worn one, just kind of seen it, uh, I, I love the look of it. It's one of those things that I, I kind of see and go, man, that would be really cool to just kind of hold. And that's why I got one. I mean, Michael was, Michael Fisher, right? Was uh, Mr. Mobile. He had it at, in Hawaii and I'm like, you know, I missed the announcement because it was at, during IFA and I was at Burning Man and somehow it slipped through the cracks for me. And I saw this and I'm like, what is this? This is cool. Round display, camera. Oh, give sign me up. He says, I, I can connect you to those folks. And I pinged them and they were very nice. They sent me a review and it like almost instantaneously. And and yeah, it's cool. I like it. I dig it. 400 bucks is a little steep though when you have a phone in your pocket that costs almost, you know, well, twice as much, I guess, but does, you know, all of that. It's just, I think what the cool thing about it is it's wearable as a round display. It is very well thought out. Like the experience is super slick and smooth for what it's intended. But I would honestly be more interested if this thing was just running Android O with no skin, you know, and you could install apps and they somehow had a mode to make them work on a round screen, you know? And then it would be kind of like having an almost of having a phone on you at all times. Um, and if you added cellular connectivity to that, oh my God, that would be even better. You know, that would be an oh, yeah. alternate form factor to a real phone for me. Well, and we so we, we've seen companies play with the idea of taking cameras and, and you know, making them kind of app, you know, app based for a while. And I, I've always loved the implementation, like you said, you know, having having Instagram or Snapchat or something there so that you can publish straight from the camera. If If I'm going to use a camera that's not my phone. Yeah. It's really cool to have that ability there. Right now, it's you, very slickly done and it's optimized for you uh, doing that from your phone by being able to browse the photo gallery on the device remotely with their app. And it's very well done. It's very seamless. But I would rather do it directly from the device. To me, if this thing is LTE connectivity, it had a, a speaker and mic on it, um, then I would maybe consider wearing it as a pendant as my phone. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And then, and as long as I can get the apps somehow optimized for the round display, I'm happy. To, I'm good. I'm good to go. Like the camera is good. If it has cellular connectivity, I can text and stuff. There's enough real nice state for me to use the keyboard on that thing. It's fine. So, yeah. I mean, bring it on because that's then it becomes like a very alternative um, device to your main phone, and I think much more viable than a four hundred dollar addition to your existing ecosystem, which might include an a eight hundred dollar phone. And and maybe even a smartwatch. And in my case, that's, you know, I'm like a cyborg. I'm wearing all this stuff plus <laughs> multiple phones because I'm reviewing. It's ridiculous. Uh, so, you know, intriguing. I can't say spend your money on this because it's a lot of money, but it is really well made. Like it's glass and aluminum. It's really beautifully designed. Lots of attention to detail there. Lots of love and craftsmanship from this company, not just in hardware, but in software. Kudos to them. I just don't have a use case for it other than pure photography at this point. And I wish I could do more and have a, just a pure build of Android on there. Um, that would make my day. So if you're hearing us, um, 
you know, front row folks, ubiquity folks. That's that's my feedback. And maybe that's not your vision and you go, you're not, you're not getting it. You're not our customer. And you know what? That's totally cool. I might not be your customer. But that's my take on the front row camera. You played with it at all? Did you see, uh, did you see um, Michael? I've seen Fisher mess with it a little bit. Uh, I haven't actually touched his yet, uh, but I will next month. Oh, good. Uh, I'm gonna, Get a I'm chance. Spend I mean, a bit of time with it. play with it because it's it's interesting. It's like if you're a gadget lover, this thing should have caught your attention. I I just missed it somehow when it came out, but like it raised an eyebrow the moment I saw it around him. At first, I thought he was just wearing some. Honestly, it's small enough. It's big enough to have a good enough size screen, but it's small enough to be jewelry, right? So right. I thought like. What is this? It's like, are you wearing some sort of Star Trek prop here? Like, you know, <laughs> which you know, knowing Michael, Fisher, it could well yeah, have been. Yeah. You know, he's he's uh, he, Mr. Mobile loves his Star Trek, and I don't blame him. Star Trek is awesome. So I was like, he's wearing some sort of like you know Bluetooth communicator, you know, headset, headset or something. Um, and no, it wasn't that. It was way more advanced than that. Uh, full on Android thing. So now, I, you know, I haven't really had time, but I want to kind of dig around a little bit. Maybe on the next podcast, next year's first podcast, I'll see if I can get some more spec info on you for you guys. What processor does this run? What's the screen resolution? What can it be? You know, can be has, has anybody tried to flash it with something else? Is the bootloader unlocked? Because it is Android, so we should be able to figure all that stuff out. So yeah, that's kind of my been my week of devices. Uh, anything that you're excited about that you're playing with right now? Any phone or anything else that maybe you got for Christmas that you love? You know, I've been uh, I've been messing around uh, mostly. This is a really boring thing uh, uh, compared to the other stuff that we've been talking about. Um, but I've been doing a ton of stuff with uh, with fitness apps over the last uh, two months. Uh huh. Uh, just trying to figure out like what you know what things are the most interesting about these fitness apps because I feel like a lot of people they use fitness apps for a month and then they stop using them yeah and so I kind of wanted to do a bunch of research and figure out why and I feel like a lot of them it, it comes down to the like the same basic problem is that once you stop using it for a day there's something in your brain that goes okay so I didn't actually need this I can go ahead and go on without it and then it's really easy right. to kind of ditch the the habit that you had to to be healthy in the first place. Uh, and in all of my exploration, the uh, the fitness app on the Apple Watch uh, seems to be the only one that ha- that like That's directly in- it, it it encourages you on a daily basis to keep doing stuff. Uh, and, and so that, that was really fascinating. It's it's all of these these really small trivial things, but when it comes together, uh, it, it you know it encourages you to to keep using it. And so I'm I'm not. Uh, one to wear a watch to begin with. A lot of the Android Wear watches, they just didn't stick with me for very long. Uh, but I find myself reaching for this this Apple Watch every day specifically for this fitness mode, uh, you know, to to kind of keep myself motivated every day. And it's been very cool. And I know that that sounds very New Year's Eve-ish. Uh, oh, but you've been you know. looking to this for two months. I think it's but a yeah, little different is, here. This, is, uh, this has been a, a, a long process here, and I'll, I'll I'll have something a little more definitive written up on it, I guess, uh, within the next month or two. But but yeah, it's, it's been really interesting to see, uh, you know, that that's what I feel like, at least for me, that's what's been missing, is that kind of regular encouragement. Like, you need to do just a little bit more today. Uh, so that I I feel the need to put it on the next day, not like a not like a Fitbit where I you know I've I've put the Fitbit down and I go okay, so I didn't actually need that in my life. Right. You know, I've heard that from other people that the Apple Watches uh, fitness rings or whatever they're called, right, are really yeah. really the best 
the best implementation yet and the most sticky. And I'm not surprised, you know, again, Apple nailed it with the Apple Watch in many ways. I'm not a fan for two reasons and they're very, very minor reasons. Uh, honestly, with the 4G LTE version, I'm being very tempted to, especially now that I have an iPhone 10 to play with as well, to kind of explore that. But it's the lack of always on display for me. Like to yes, me, a watch should yes, always tell is. the time. And I realize that they're trying to save the OLED because I've had burn in on my original Huawei watch from wearing it two years uh, and it's OLED. And I can understand Apple wants to prevent that. But to me, that is a flaw. No, it's a totally. major flaw. It's a Apple. watch first for me, a notification device second, and then everything else third, like fitness third. And and this, the other thing that's vexing to me is the square form factor. No, I do not <laughs> want a reduced size. I mean, it looked like a freaking mini um, iPhone 10 on my it, wrist. No, it does. Yep. I just want I a, round a round watch. One. Give me a freaking round watch that looks like a freaking Rolex, something sexy and hot. And I know Apple could do it, but they're refusing to do it. So until they fi fix these two things, I will not wear an Apple watch. Nope, I fully agree. Yeah, if, if Apple were to take that LTE version, rip out the LTE radio and tell me that I could have the screen on all day, I would, I would throw money at them in a heartbeat. Because yep. that always on display... Uh, on all of the Android Wear watches, it's so much nicer. Yep. You know, I, I just, I think people don't realize it until they go back to one, a real watch or one that has always on and they're like, oh my, wow. Yeah. This thing tells <sighs> me the so time all better. the time. This I is know. fantastic. Look, it's like a real watch. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Well, listen, we should wrap it up, but I want you to uh, plug yourself. Tell people where they can find you online, your various things. I mean, obviously Android Central, but Twitter and any other things you're doing, working on personal projects or anything. Yeah, so I am uh, at Russell Holly on everything. Uh, pretty easy to track down that way. If you're interested at all in, uh, you know, kind of VR things that are happening, check me out over at uh, VRheads.com. Uh, for all of the kind of uh, weird nerdy crap that happens over there, but uh, but otherwise, yeah, I'm Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, pretty much everywhere at Russell Holly. Fantastic, and you guys know where to find me. I'm at Tankerl on Twitter. That's T N K G R L. Think of the comic book character. Drop the vowels, and you'll find me there. And then uh, follow me on YouTube. Uh, it's YouTube.com/slash Miriam My full name spelled out with a Y. And that YouTube channel is really a support to this podcast. Uh, a lot of the devices I discuss here. If you want to look at them almost feel like you're touching them. Watch my unboxing videos, watch my review videos. They're all on that channel as support for this podcast. Obviously, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, etc. Uh, the podcast can be found at mobiletechpodcast.com and there there's an RSS button you can click to subscribe, but there's also the, we're on iTunes and we're on Pocket Casts, etc., etc. So look for me, tell your friends and subscribe. And then finally, we'll be back in the new year. Um, I'm lining someone up for the first week uh, before CES and then I'm going to be pretty active at CES. I'm hoping to podcast a couple of times at least, maybe three times during the show. Uh, uh, one of those podcasts will be will with, uh, with uh, Paul Spain, who is the person behind World Podcasts, who's the company uh, hosting these podcasts for me. They're a podcast network out of New Zealand and Paul has a, his own tech podcast on the show, uh, on the network. So, uh, I think if if you watched or listened to episode zero, which was kind of like the intro episode, Paul and I talked for about half an hour. So you'll you'll see what to expect when you uh, when you, he's going to be at CS and we're going to have a little recap uh, show together. So stay tuned for all that. And thanks again, Russell, for being on. Really awesome. Really appreciate it. I've been wanting to have you on for a while. I'm glad you were able to pull it off today. Thanks again.
Oh, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad I could make it. Right on. We'll have to have you on again in the new year. I've decided that with the new year, I can reset my uh, guest list and re-invite people a second time now without feeling like I've got the repetition. But we'll see how it goes. All right. Uh, stay tuned for next week. And thanks for everyone. A happy new year. Bye-bye. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.